I'm Adit Chakraborty from The Business, and this is a special podcast dedicated to, well, why don't you tell us, darling? Today's budget will continue to help people through this global recession and prepare Britain for the opportunities of the future. Yes, it's the most important budget for a generation, and the first since the recession began. I'm Tom Clark from Politics Weekly, and joining me in Aditya in the studio to discuss the Chancellor's plan to get us out of the downturn are Guardian columnist Jackie Ashley, our Head of Business Dan Roberts, and our Economics correspondent Ashley Seeger. So the stakes couldn't have been higher for Alistair Darling. After months of doom and gloom about bailing out the banks failed fiscal stimulation and quantitative easing, this was a Chancellor's opportunity to prove he's the one to turn all this around. We'll get onto the political side of the budget in just a moment, not to mention the new 50p top rate of income tax. But first, Ashley Seeger, you're the economics whiz. Let's do numbers first. This was the budget in which we got the bill for the recession and the banking crisis. Just how big was it? Well, it was nasty, really, because a year ago, if you'll recall, in uh, Alistair Darling's first budget, he predicted that this year, we would, this fiscal year that's just begun, we'd borrow £38 billion. Now we're going to borrow £175 billion. We're going to borrow £173 next year, then £140, and sort of slowly decreasing numbers thereafter. He added yesterday £270 billion to what we will add, to what we will borrow over five years, from what he said just in November. We're borrowing £700 billion in all. It's a huge bill. And how convincing were his plans to pay all this back? Uh, unconvincing, really, because they all depend on very, very rosy forecasts for the economy, which nobody really expects to happen. I mean, 3.5% growth in two years' time? Forget it. OK, Jackie Ashley, let's come to you here. This was Darling's last chance to make the political weather before the election. Do you think the parliamentary party at least walked away from yesterday with a clearer sense of purpose? Well, I think the parliamentary party were divided, actually. You'll have heard a lot of cheers at the point at which he did his soak the rich bit, the 50p tax. Um, a lot of them were very glad and a lot of them were saying it's 10 years too late, but at last we're finally doing what Labour came into power to do. But there are certainly quite a strong contingent of the new Labour MPs who are holding their heads in despair, saying this is exactly what we should not be doing. Tony Blair fought all those years Mm. against letting the media paint us as uh, old-fashioned socialists, and now Gordon Brown and Alistair Darling are going doing that again. So I think there's quite a split in the party over that, and I think they're waiting to see how the Tories react. At the moment, the Tories are kind of saying, well, it's not a priority to reverse it, but we'll see. I think the Tories will watch the polls very much and see how this plays. Um, Dennis Healy used to boast about being a very political chancellor um, and giving political budgets. On the scale of budgets to tackle the economic economic difficulties on the one hand and to win the next election on the other, where do you think this one sat? I think this is a very political budget. I mean, I think he's very carefully targeted certain groups of people, the lower paid pensioners who turn out to vote uh, historically in vast numbers. Uh, they get some help. The, the nice little touch, I thought, with the help for grandparents who act as carers for their grandchildren um, and and this soaking the rich which will make um, certainly the press scream because of course a lot of the editors and press barons do (laughs) come into that tax bracket. But uh, the thing I was wondering about when I asked the question is um, what about this business of all these spending cuts down the road? He wasn't saying much about all of that yesterday was he? Yes I thought overall he was fairly candid, admirably candid about how bad the economic situation was, how bad the debt figures were and so on the one bit where he skipped over very quickly was the bit about the public spending cuts which he didn't go into any detail at all about. And of course, this is what people have been analysing the small print and saying, oh dear, we're going to have massive spending cuts, bigger than we had under the Tories, under the last Tory government. And I think that is going to be a very big problem for the Labour Party. And yet if they kept that quiet,
quiet. I was really surprised by the number of measures that were trailed in the papers beforehand. I mean, one thing this budget was long on was briefing. Dan, were you surprised by that? I, I was, yes. I, well, I, I suppose I took that as a sign that we were going to get some almighty humdinger in the budget itself and they wanted to get this stuff and out did early. Did you get a rabbit? And actually, well, we kind of did. I mean, I think the sort of soaking the rich taxes were it probably and that was always going to dominate the headlines. I, I, I agree with Jackie. I think it was quite a smart political budget because this the, the tax rises on the rich were... Um, calibrated at just the right pitch to sort of present problems for the Tories without really being actually a huge return to old Labour. I mean, if you look at the sums raised, I mean, Ashley crunched the numbers um, yesterday and I think came to about seven billion quid over the next few years from these rich taxes. It's not, it's not socialism in our time by any means, but it does present George Osborne with a very difficult elephant trap, which he's been trying to walk around the, the last few hours. Well, I'm glad you mentioned George Osborne because we're probably a year away from a general election and what kind of sense actually did you get of what either George Osborne or even Vince Cable would have done differently? George Osborne would certainly have started well he says he would have started cutting public spending or reducing the growth rate of it anyway much quicker than the... He wouldn't have started from here but what sense did you get of how he'd handle this differently? To this week, you mean that this this budget? I think in 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 reality, he wouldn't have handled it very much very differently at all. He knew, knows that you can't start slashing spending in the middle of the deepest recession for decades. I, I suspect the difference between the parties is much smaller than is commonly supposed. Particularly with uh, Osborne this morning refusing to say he would scrap the fifty p tax rate. Clearly, he knows there's a big hole in the public finances, and he's going to have to plug it any way he can. But I think George Osborne does face real pressure from uh, from his own backbenchers to have much bigger spending. Cuts. I mean, there is a whole new sort of generation of Tories growing up now who could just complain endlessly about the size of the state and all these quangos and all these public service jobs. And I think unless he does come up with really quite radical spending proposals, he's going to have trouble from his backbenchers. Jackie, he is he is starting from here, isn't he? Whether whether he wants to or not, you know, that's what is going to happen in a year's time. He'll be in number 11. He'll be making, um, as you say, big cuts. But even if he doesn't go for the full kind of menu of savagery that his young Turks would be pushing him towards, wouldn't wouldn't he be hugely damaging himself politically with the scale of cuts he's got to make? Isn't this starting to look like a good election to lose? I, I would think so. I think whoever's going to be the Chancellor in the next couple of years knows that they're going to be probably one of the most unpopular Chancellors in history. I mean, Alistair Darling has managed at the moment to put it all off for a year or two, hasn't he? But uh, no doubt hoping that either Ed Balls, his successor if Labour carry on, or George Osborne if the Tories win, are going to have to do the really nasty stuff. Dan? It, neither party is going to be in power actually for the next couple of years I think the guilt market is going to be in power for the next couple of years <laughs> and we really are back to the 70s in one regard which is that um, 220 billions worth of guilt issuance in the next 12 months is an enormous amount of money for um, the, the, the the city to have to, to, to put up at a time when most other large governments are also increasing public borrowing hugely and every um, every twitch of Darling's eyebrow from now on in is going to be sort of watched with a BDI from the city as to what it means for Britain's public finances. And I think that constrains room for manoeuvre enormously. I mean, I'd hate to have to write a manifesto for either party now, knowing that you just have, you know, this enormous debt to service. I think they still have a real problem in drawing the clear dividing lines because it used to be, you know, Tory cuts in public spending. Well, Labour now admit they have to do that. They're trying to create a new dividing line with the soak the rich but the Tories are not going to commit on that we're still lacking the clear dividing line that both parties really want come the next election 
So we're looking forward to an election where it's not investment versus cuts, but cuts versus cuts. <laughs> but let, let's leave it there on that depressing note. There's plenty more about both politics and economics of the budget at guardian.co.uk slash budget. Now, everyone wants a slice of the pie at budget time. But as we find ourselves amid the worst recession for half a century, there hasn't been an awful lot of pie to go around. So who were the real winners and losers of this budget? Dan, one clear winner out of this budget was surely the banking sector. I mean, Alice Darling just basically admitted yesterday he was, he'd written off 60 billion quid of the bailout money. They're really the villains of this piece, aren't they? They're the ones who put us in, put us in this mess and they're the ones who are getting the most money out of it. Well, yes, I think that's true to the extent that uh, most of those decisions to bail out the banks we already knew about. I think the big surprise in the budget, actually, which, um, to the Guardian's credit, um, is largely a function of our tax campaign, was actually the big clampdown on tax avoidance Mm. that was was in the small print. And um, uh, it's pretty draconian. I mean, a lot of the stuff that the Guardian has been revealing about the way that banks like Barclays, for example, run their tax affairs is now pretty much being ruled out. And I think this is the counterpoint to the soak the rich tax rises is that actually you can only do this if you simultaneously clamp down on the ability to run away from this stuff. So the ability to hide money offshore is being dramatically curtailed. The ability to sort of um, root a lot of your earnings through your pension, for example, is being curtailed. And so actually, I think from from that perspective, this was a bit of payback time for the banks because one of their biggest earning streams, which is tax avoidance, has has been pretty pretty effectively ruled out. And how did it go down? All the city pages yesterday were just reacting to it so they just had a bucket of cold sick pulled over well, <laughs> well I think that the, you have to separate out people's personal feelings from their institutional feelings I mean personally they're all feeling pretty bruised and battered because this is a directly targeted at uh, your you know your your fund manager rubbing along on half a million a year he's going to have to find about 50 grand more in tax which is you know at a time when he's not going to get his bonus and he's not getting his yacht this year and all those other things it's meaningful the something third holiday they're smarting but I think institutionally the the lessons for the city were actually that the city is back in charge in a, in a perverse kind of way I mean using the word city loosely here but I mean in terms of the fact that the, the people the government's going to have to turn to to keep the show on the road are the gilts markets the, the signs of pain are going to come in the foreign exchange markets if there is a run on the pound and to that extent actually you know this is um, after all of that sort of bashing of the city it, we're going to need them now do you not think like okay we've got all this good close the loophole tax dodging stuff but really for most people what we saw yesterday is for the first time the government admitting that it's not been investing in the banks where it'll get a return it's been giving money to the banks and that's now written in the budget as an expense the taxpayer has handed the banks an awful lot of money and it's not going to get it all back Jackie don't you think when it comes to these tight spending rounds squeezes on nurses pay and all of that the bankers are going to be a villain much more in the coming months than they have been in in the past few even. Well, I don't particularly think it was news yesterday in the budget. I think people just generally understood that the money was going to the banks and that was a present rather than, you know, anything that was going to come back. But I, I think So you think they just didn't believe this line about oh we'll, we'll get the money back yeah, in the end. Lots. But I think I think people also understood that although it was dreadful, it was probably better than the alternative, which was letting all the banks go bust and everyone then for losing, you know, all their money in the banks and everything else. So I don't think there's going to be particularly any more anger against the bankers. I think it's already there. Ashley, a couple of weeks before we had this budget, you wrote a cracking piece about how we should have a new deal for jobs. And I thought at the time, brilliant argument, it will never make it. And lo and behold, it never made it, did it? No, it didn't. I mean, he had a very small package for helping you know, youths into jobs or staying in training and the rest. But the sort of money that I would have liked to have seen and that other 
Miniscule. Other people were calling what was actually minuscule. Yeah, I think he felt boxed into a corner by people like Mervyn King saying there was no room for any more fiscal stimulus, etc., etc. So um, no, we didn't get very much, and, and we're going to see unemployment continuing r- rising well into next year as a result. But actually, surely there was good news on the greenery at this time of like cut budgets. He still found half a billion or so for uh, windmills and other green measures as well. Yeah, the half a billion, actually, he, he, he crafted that as being from the public purse, but it's no such thing. It's a change to the rules of the renewable obligation scheme, ah. which will actually drag money in from polluting companies and so forth. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that, but it isn't new public money. The amounts of public money found for Green we were actually very, very small, I think. And if you compare them to the amounts that Stern is saying we should spend, you know, 1% to 2% of GDP is between 14 and uh, 28 billion a year, roughly, and we're talking a few hundred million here here for the odd solar panel uh, and a bit of insulation. I, I think it still remains pathetically small, given that they set this very demanding target for carbon reductions by 2020, 34%, which frankly are for the birds. Now, usually you can guarantee budget-related headlines to centre around cigarettes and alcohol, but of course people's minds are a long, long way from fags and booze. The new 50p tax bracket for the country's top earners is one thing, but there's been plenty of talk in the last few weeks about the black hole in the public finances and a £1,250 rise in the average family's tax bill. So what's the real impact on the pound in our pockets? Dan, I suppose the fundamental question here is, are we going to feel any poorer and when? I think we will feel poorer, um, but not for a year or so. I mean, basically, Darling's heroic assumptions on the economic recovery are based on the idea that you need to keep the spending going at the moment while we're in the depth of the recession, but it's going to come out quite quickly, and then we're going, then the pain will start. I think what the, the worst-case scenario, which I fear may well happen, is that in a year's time we're not out of the economy, and that's when the point when the public sector spending squeeze hits, and that's the point where the tax rises hit all simultaneously, and actually this time next year could be the point that the pips start to squeak. He is making an enormous assumption about people's confidence, isn't he, that people will trust his forecast, which incidentally no one else seems to agree with, and that people will carry on as if there's going to be this recovery next year. But Jackie, in one sense, when we all do these ready reckoners, did you win, did you lose from this budget? But as well as all the stuff that we got yesterday, there's been this movement over the last six months where our mortgage rates have just dropped like a stone. I mean, do you think any of that makes people feel better off when they go shopping? I think it must do, mustn't it? People must know there's more in the bank account. But, but you know, it is swings and roundabouts because, of course, we've got the, the 2p coming on the, uh, on the fuel, haven't we, shortly? And so that will have an effect. I mean, I think it's quite hard for people to actually assess exactly where the finances are going to end up. And I suppose politically, the question is, how much of the blame or credit for that do they give back to the government? I mean, if they see that their mortgage repayments coming down, do they think, well, that's do quite Do you say good. thank you to the government? Yeah. I think probably not. I think, I think that's the bad news about being in government. People don't thank you for the, the money that does end up in their pocket but they don't like the taxes that they can see as specifically the government taking it away from you. Gordon Brown spent 10 years, hasn't he, boasting about making the bank independent. Now he can hardly take the credit for cutting rates. Yeah, I think that's right. People would say it's, a, it's, it's the world economy or whatever, or it's the Bank of England, it's not Gordon Brown. But actually, just coming back to the broader economic stimulus, we've, we've heard a lot about fiscal stimulus, but yeah. there's been interest rate cuts, there's been yeah. quantitative easing, the yeah. pound has been all but devalued. I mean, surely all of this might, might well mean that Alistair Darling's growth forecasts are not that dodgy, are they? Uh, well, you might get that short, sharp recovery he's talking about. You'd like to hope so, um, because we've had the mother of all busts, but we've also, like you said, had the mother of all stimuli. And there's been an awful lot thrown at this economy. 
My own feeling, though, is that we've depended for so many years on growth in the city, the housing market and in public spending. All of those are now going into reverse. And Darling said, well, it's going to be replaced by export and business investment. Given that we haven't seen any of that in Britain for a couple of decades, it seems <laughs> it just seems unlikely. I mean, the pound is a great stimulus, the fall in the pound. It's fantastic. So we could come out of this. I just don't see the drivers there enough to take us to 125 next year and three and a half the following year. I think that's really improbable given the scale of fiscal tightening that we're going to see. The question for me is not um, the year or two of recovery, which may well be quite steep, but what kind of world we're going to have after that? Mm. And, and actually, we have, um, I mean, uh, someone was talking yesterday about uh, like an athlete no longer on steroids. You know, you're left with a pretty <laughs> withered economy uh, uh, with possibly a few broken bones. And, and, you know, without the sort of the supercharged sort of um, city led growth that we've relied on for 20, 30 years, actually, I think um, world economic growth, let alone British economic growth, is going to be pretty anemic, perhaps for, for generations. I mean, we really have a fundamental break in the economy in the last year, which will not just go back to normal mm. in, in, in a few months' time. It was once said of the French Revolution that it's still too early to tell what the effects are. And with a budget that was only given yesterday, I'm almost sure that must be true. But can I just ask you, each of you, to go on the spot for one minute and say, as an attempt to rescue Labour, as an attempt to rescue the economy, marks out of 10. Starting with you, Dan, please. Oh, I, I attempt to rescue Labour um, uh, quite high because I think he, he left the big bear trap for the Tories, which is the best that he could do. So maybe six, seven out of ten. Attempt to rescue the economy was you know, close to zero, too. <laughs> but then he didn't not allow else he could do. There was no room for manoeuvre given the state of the public finances. Jackie. Well, I'm, I'm a bit kinder to him than that. I thought he did the best he could do, you know, given what he had. I would say probably yeah, eight or nine in trying to rescue Labour because he had to do something which mm. showed that, you know, Labour had a purpose again. And as the economy, again, I think he did as, as well as he probably could do. I give him six for that. And Ashley? Yeah, I'm probably more with Dan than Jackie, I think, although there's not a huge difference here, is there? I mean, he did the best he could of a bad lot. I think there should have been more of a stimulus this year, personally, more help for jobs, and that would have, you know, helped a core Labour vote, although maybe the young people who would have been helped don't vote, so maybe maybe that's why they didn't get that much help in the end. So I guess, overall, probably six out of ten on both. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what really struck me about this budget was actually how willing people were to say that Alistair Darling was doing a decent job but the government had mucked up on finances. As far as rescuing Labour goes, I think would give it, what, a four out of ten? At least Alistair Darling gave some kind of signal to, the, to, to Labour about what he was there for. As far as rescuing the economy goes, close to zero, one maybe. Tom, you? I'd say five probably for rescuing Labour. I mean, not much positive to say, but at least clobbering the rich gives it some sense of purpose again. Uh, rescuing the economy, I think I'd say three or four. You know, this wasn't 1981. This wasn't the economy being crucified in the name of some uh, weird theory. So uh, I don't think this budget makes it worse. And in that sense, it deserves at least a three out of ten. And that's us done for this special budget podcast. There's plenty more comment, analysis and other fun stuff on all of this number crunching at guardian.co.uk slash budget. A big thank you to our panel, Dan Roberts, Ashley Seeger and Jackie Ashley, for whom it's been a very long 24 hours. Our producers were Ben Green and Francesca Panetta. I'm Adit Chakraborty. And I'm Tom Clark. Thanks for listening. <laughs>